mean. Amen. <laughs> it's just what you do to close the stage of a meeting, isn't it? So, amen. <laughs> so, David's just told me I've got an hour and a half now, because we've got until that clock says 12. So, <laughs> I'm going to use the hour that you've all lost and give it back this morning. So, we're going to go really deep into scripture. So, is that okay? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this is probably the last time that I'm going to be preaching at High Blakely, which is, is sad. Um, it puts a bit of pressure on what I choose to speak about, really. So I've been going back and forth this week trying to say, like, okay, what is my life message? What am I, in this series on passion, what am I passionate about? I've got 30 minutes or 90 minutes, depending on who you ask, <laughs> to really impart my last words of wisdom before we move away. Um, that's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what do I want to preach about? There's loads of topics that I love and loads of stuff that I've spoke on here, and they do kind of tend to come up again and again, I know. So like, I love the church. I love that body of Christ with all its varied parts, all its flawed parts and all its issues, but there's such powerful gifts and talents in the church. Um, and I love speaking about the church. I love that body of Christ image um, as we fulfill the purpose of God in our generation. I love community. Um, I love how that body of Christ interacts with each other and that really reflects the Trinity and the Godhead and just speaks something to the world around us, doesn't it? Um, I love service. I love that body expressing love to each other and laying ourselves down and making things run, speaking to those around us, and serving the local community that we've been planted in. And I love the gospel. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. It doesn't actually get any more important than that, does it? And all of our messages, all of our lives should revolve around that one truth. Um, I love worship. It's an obvious one, isn't it, for me? But <laughs> um, I love that when we understand what that gospel, that John 3.16, what that really means for us, um, how our whole future has just been turned around from separation from God to eternal life with him right in his presence, um, our heart's response just to glorify him and to lift him up, um, fulfilling what we were made to do. So there's loads of stuff that I love, and there's about five messages that I could have preached this morning. Or possibly that's about five messages that I've just snuck in without you all really noticing. Um, and some of them may find their way up into the next half hour. But um, when I was praying and asking God, like, what, what do I want to share this morning? Um, I was led back to one of my favorite verses in scripture, which is Matthew 27, verse 51. Um, but I'm going to take a bit of a lead up to it. But before we do that, let's just pray. Yeah, God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you that we do get to gather as your body. We get to commune with you. We get to worship you and lift you high and worship. Just pray that you'd speak to us this morning as you already have been. Um, that as I'm speaking, you just speak to people through me, whether that's by what I'm saying or what you're saying, regardless, Lord Jesus. Yeah, Lord God. Mm. So Matthew 27, and we're going to start at verse 45. So this is Jesus on the cross. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, 
that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. I love that, because Jesus has done quite a lot of miracles by this point. If you think he's calling out to Elijah, there's a fair chance Elijah might come. So people are, there's still faith going on in this atmosphere, isn't there? Um, but no, he's not calling out to Elijah. So Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And in verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's hard to stop reading, isn't it, once you get into that passage. Such an incredible account of that death of Jesus, of that awesome sacrifice. Um, But like I said, I want to focus on verse 51 in that chapter. So, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So what is this curtain, what we're talking about here? Why does it get me so excited? Why is this one of my favourite Bible verses? Um, The first mention of this curtain is back in Exodus chapter 26. Verse 31 to 33 says... And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang on it four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. Uh, Is anyone doing Bible in a year this year? A few people. So a lot of schedules have you in the middle of about numbers now, don't they? Um, It's rough. (laughs) I hold my hands up. This is generally the point of the year where I stop reading the Bible in a year and just skip to reading bits of the Bible that I like. Um, It's lots of long lists and names and everything is according to the sanctuary shekel. Um, So keep going if you're doing the Bible in a year. You're doing well. We can get through it and we'll get to the good stuff. Um, But no. Even the dry parts of the Bible are God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Um, And there's some beautiful details in all of these accounts, isn't there? Because God is a God of detail. Um, When he's hanging up a curtain, he doesn't just say, and stick a bit of cloth up there. He says, like, let's make it in all these royal colors. Let's make it look beautiful. Let's put angels on it. And like, yeah, God is a God of excellence and a God of detail. Um, You just have to dig a little bit deeper into some parts of scripture to find that kind of thing. Um, So this curtain, as I say, has been put up in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And it separates the holy place from the most holy place. Most holy place is where they keep the Ark of the Covenant. And it symbolizes the presence of God. Uh, And it's separated from the Israelites by this massive, intricate curtain. Um, Of course, God is always present everywhere. And he's with them, whatever. But there's some symbolism here in the Old Covenant that just says... God is set apart, he's holy. Um, We can't just see God all the time and go into him regardless. 
So Hebrews 9 verses 1 to 6 talks a bit about these limits. So it says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence were. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. See, if you read in the Bible in EA, you wish that verse was a few more times throughout. <laughs> these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But... Into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So that curtain, that most holy place, is most holy. It's special. It's not there all the time for just going in and out. Um, There's this whole ritual. Only one person ever gets to go in. And he has to do so much before he's in a place to do that. He has to purify himself. He has to purify the people. There's blood everywhere. And then he has to kind of tremble and go through and just offer the sacrifices and worship God in that most holy place. Um, So like I say, God sets himself apart in that section. Uh, It's because of sin, isn't it? Um, God is holy, is pure. If he was contaminated with sin, because he can't be contaminated with sin, he wouldn't be holy and pure. So we need this curtain, we need this veil between him and us. Um, We're all born into sin, no matter what we do in our own strength, we can't reach the purity and really reach the right to go into that most holy place. Um, We can't earn our way in there. So that's the curtain in the old covenant. But why was it a curtain? Why a curtain? Why a veil? If God is set apart and pure and holy... Surely you put a wall there, or a big massive fence, you could get the Mexicans to pay for it. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm a naturally curious curious person, and I think curtains generate that curiosity, don't they? Like, they're hiding something, they're hiding a mystery behind a curtain. Um, What's behind it? What's, if I peek through? Um, Our cat, Ted, loves looking out of windows. Um, he's an indoor house cat, he's too fluffy to go outside, he just gets messy. But inside, I've told you before, he has the spirit of a lion. Um, he spends hours just sitting in the windowsill, looking outside, seeing the fields behind our house and just thinking, I'm a lion, I'm galloping through these fields, catching the chickens, chasing after the horses. Um, in the evenings, he still likes to do that, but obviously we close the curtains. Um, but he will spend ages kind of in our living room just looking at this curtain, trying to figure out, could I go under it, could I? What if, no, the top's probably a bit high. So he's got this little way in our living room of if he jumps up onto the side of the chair, the top of the chair, the side of the door, and round, he can get in behind the curtain. Um, So he doesn't like missing out on what's going on the other side of the curtains. He doesn't want to miss out on the Holy of Holies, of that big outside place that just speaks of so much more than our inside living room. Um, and curtains do create separation, don't they? They are, it's an adequate way of separating that Holy of Holies from 
the rest of the temple. Um, but they're made to be opened. They're not a door. They're not a wall that can't be knocked down. And veils are made to be lifted. That's the two words that get used, curtain and veil. So if the curtains in the room are always closed, you might as well not have the window there. Um, if a veil on a wedding day isn't lifted, the groom doesn't get to kiss the bride. So I believe the fact that it was a veil shows that God's plan was always to remove this veil, to remove this barrier between the Holy of Holies and his people. And so let's go back to Matthew 27, 51, and we see this is the moment where it all changes. Um, Jesus has just fixed the separation of sin issue. He's made it possible to go into the Holy of Holies. He's given up, he's made that sacrifice. We prayed this morning, didn't we? We sung the song, that glorious day where we can run out of our tomb. And the thing is, we don't just run out of our tomb into normal life. We get to run straight through this torn curtain, straight into the Holy of Holies where there's this Ark of the Covenant, there's gold, there's cherubim. Um, and we get to live in this new covenant that's so much more than the old. Um, God's sacrifice makes us able to enter into his presence, pure and blameless. Just all we have to do is put our faith in him. Um, we don't need to kill animals. We don't need to do a yearly sacrifice where we allocate one person to go in on our behalf. Um, yeah, it's not a brief visit. It's a lifetime thing now. That curtain was torn Probably realistically in the natural, someone in the temple had a bit of a heart attack and they probably repaired that curtain. Um, but in the spiritual, that curtain remains torn. It remains in two different pieces. And we can always go through it into the Holy of Holies. Um, it's also worth noting the direction that it was torn from, isn't it? Yeah. It was torn from the top to the bottom. This wasn't the act of man forcing our way in and saying, God, we don't like this old covenant anymore. We need something new. We're going to tear it up from the bottom. But this is from heaven, tearing the curtain down. Um, Jesus and God saying, no, come on. This is my plan now. We're ripping this apart from our side. Come on, come in, come in, see us. So how do we come into the presence of God? How do we come into this Holy of Holies? And the Bible talks about lots of ways. Sometimes they sound a little bit contradictory. It says, come with fear and trembling. Come prostrate and lying down. Or come with entitlement. We're God's children. We belong in the throne room. And we get to play in there. We get to play with our daddy. Um, they're all true. And it's only with Holy Spirit's help that we get to discern how just to have that right heart attitude of coming into the presence of God. Um, another one of my favorite Bible passages is Psalm 100. And I believe that talks of a good way of coming into the presence of God, of how we can come through that curtain in the spiritual. It says, Lift up a great shower of joy to the Lord. Go ahead and do it, everyone, everywhere. As you serve him, be glad and worship him. Sing your way into his presence with joy. That's what we were doing this morning, wasn't it? As we start our meetings with worship so often, that's why we do that. It's because it just opens up that presence of God for us. And realize what this really means. We have the privilege of worshipping the Lord our God. For he is our creator and we belong to him. We are the people of his pleasure. Here we go. You can pass through his open gates with your praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come bring your thank offering and affectionately bless his beautiful name. 
For the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He's so loving that it will amaze you, so kind that it will astound you. And he is famous for his faithfulness towards all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted, for he keeps his promises to every generation. So enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. David's living in the Old Covenant when he's writing this, but he grasps something of the beauty of being able to enter into the presence of God, um, something that we can do so much more than he did. And we get to go straight into that Holy of Holies. We don't get to just hover at the outside of the gates. Um, it's been great having James here this morning, hasn't it, leading worship. Um, he carries such an anointing and such a gift in. But we're all designed to worship God. As I said, we are loved lovers of God. Um, as we just live in that place of his presence, that torn veil lets us just do so much more than David was able to in the Old Covenant. As the Israelites, with all the singing and psalms, um, the sacrifices in the Old Testament were their form of worship, but we get to go right into that Holy of Holies. I know I keep saying it, but that, that is what we get to do. And being in the presence of God changes us, doesn't it? You can't come into a time of worship and leave the same. You can't spend time in your bedroom at home reading your Bible and leave the same. Because um, God works in our hearts. As we learn more about him, as we grow in our relationship with him, um, we're transformed to be more like him. Uh, another time in the Bible that veils are mentioned is a little bit later on in Exodus when Moses has gone up Mount Sinai and he's speaking to God on the top of the mountain. Um, when he comes down, his face is shining. He's shining so much that he's been transformed and the Israelites are scared of him because they've seen Moses go up and he's met with God and he's come down and he's completely different. He's shining away. He has to put a veil across his face. He has to put that barrier in place to hide the presence of God within him from the Israelites just to protect them. Um, the presence of God literally shone out of Moses to those around him. Um, and that's the same for us in the spiritual. 2 Corinthians 3 um, talks about it. it. says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. See, this veil isn't just torn, it's even removed and just put away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord have been transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because going into God's presence and being transformed, going through that torn curtain, that torn veil, it isn't just for our own benefit. Um, it's an expression of God's love towards us, and it does allow us to love him more closely, to have a deeper relationship. But it's also for the benefit of those around us, um, especially those that don't know Jesus yet. If the presence of God was in one building, in one place, it'd be pretty difficult to convince people to make that journey if they didn't know him, wouldn't it? If you were a Christian and you had Jesus living inside of you, but to meet with God, you had to get on a plane, fly to Jerusalem, kill a few goats, and then you could meet with God. If you tell your next door neighbour that that's what you want to do, and trust me, it'll be worth it in the end, probably fairly fair enough, most of them are going to say that's quite a long flight and I'd rather not kill the goats. Um, but that's not the covenant we're living in, is it? That's not our gospel. That's not our good news. Um, Jesus isn't contained to 
the Co-op Academy in High Blakely. He's not contained to King's House in the city centre. Um, he's within each and every one of us, in each and every one of our lives. So everyone that we meet in the week, as we come from a place of living in that holy of holies, of spending time with God, being transformed, our faces and our words shine to those around us. Um, and it's a lot easier to convince people to meet with Jesus. Um, so praise God that we're not living in that old covenant. So as we leave here today, um, I'd love us just to have an awareness of that, I guess. Um, that we do live in that holy of holies, that the curtain is torn and it's not being stitched back up. That as we spend time with God, we are transformed. We're loved lovers and we get to love others from that place of shining out with his glory to those around us. Lord, thank you so much for tearing the veil. Thank you that you made a way for us to come straight into your presence, knowing that the sacrifice has been made. We don't want to take it for granted. God, we want to come with awe, we want to come with reverence. Um, but we do want to know that we're entitled to come in, that you've made that way. We don't want to not come at all. This week, Lord, just prompt us to spend time with you. Um, I ask for each and every one of us that we'd be able to put these things into practice. Um, more so than we have done before. Just pray that we'd have an awareness of when we pray and when we're speaking to you, that there's no barrier between us. Lord Jesus, just ask that you'd shine out of us this week and that you'd lead us out of our comfort zones, that we'd be in a deeper relationship with you as we spend time behind the veil um, and that we'd be in a deeper relationship with those around us, that we'd be able to share your glory. Just pray for opportunities for each and every one of us this week, Lord God. Amen.